Tap In Time, a Chapman Stick podcast. Whether you've played the instrument for years or are just curious, if it's stick talk you're looking for, this is the place. So come along and stay a while. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Tap In Time, episode number 13. I'm Victor. I'm Claire. And I'm Rodrigo. So we're going to talk just for a couple minutes before we move into something else for this episode. But we wanted to say just a few words about our Zoom session where we crashed Bob's usual Saturday morning uh, Zoom call. <laughs> and it's a little bit interesting because it the way things worked out, Bob wasn't able to be there. <laughs> he didn't actually get to Zoom bomb Bob. He wasn't there. <laughs> he bailed out before. <laughs> he had some technical issues and he had just done some computer revamping and he wasn't able to hear anything anybody was saying. And uh, and he had apparently been working on it for a little while, at least by the time I showed up. And, uh, and so he decided to call it. And since there was already a plan for the session... Uh, and he wasn't able to participate. He went ahead and just turned it over to... So bottom line, we, we took Bob's Zoom and we kicked him out, right? So we just took over. <laughs> yeah, it's okay, Bob. We're here. We'll handle it. Yeah. It's not a Zoom bomb. It's a Zoom takeover. <laughs> exactly. That's what it was. Yeah. So, so it was a pretty good conversation. I think what were there like... Uh, Do we have 15 people there? Yeah, I think so. I, th I think it was either 13 or 15. Obviously, with this kind of thing, it, the number changes as it goes on. But there was a gentleman there that I'd never met by the name of TJ. And it turns out he has a connection with you, Claire. He, he's an alum from the college that I teach at. So I, I did know who he was, apparently. Yes. It's very interesting because he had posted something on the forum. And I, I didn't know that that was him at the time. And I only put two and two together at the at the Zoom session of like, oh, <laughs> hey, good to see you. So it's it's always cool to see people. Uh, and this is someone who, uh, he's placed an order for a stick, but he doesn't have one yet. And he's really interested in the instrument. And I thought it was just cool that someone that doesn't have the instrument showed up on the Zoom call. And maybe that's happened before and I just was not aware of it. But I thought that was really cool to get someone on there. Just wants to show up and hear people talking about the instrument. when Getting a head start. <laughs> yeah, that's really kind of cool. Yeah. I guess that happens when you fall in love with the instrument, right? You just go after any piece of information you can find, even if it's a Zoom call with some people you don't know. Uh, talking about New Year's resolutions or whatever, but it's tick-related, so I'm interested in the, in the instrument, so I'm going to go and check this out. So that's one of the characteristics of the of the stick community or uh, stick musicians or whatever. It's we we tend to go after the, all sorts of informations about the instrument, right? And so we just we can't we can't just can't get enough. <laughs> and he's also pretty knowledgeable too. You know, he had some good suggestions for you know how to deal with the Zoom issues that we were having that are not related to Bob's issues. And then we got at one point to talking about ways to play music with other people online. And he seems to know about the, you know, a couple of the options that are out there. I still haven't tried them. I'd kind of like to try them just to see if they work because it's a fascinating concept. I didn't even know it was possible with you know, latency being what it is. But anyway, so that was neat to meet TJ. And uh, he's very outgoing, too. He had no problem speaking up when we put him on the spot. <laughs> it's nice. 
I really enjoyed the session because it gave me an opportunity to meet a number of people I hadn't met before. I mean, we had people that I know that were there, you know, Rob Gilner, the four of us, uh, Steve was there, Jim was there, uh, and a bunch of people that I'm forgetting, please forgive me. I'd never really gotten the background on Ken, uh, you know, an, an American expat. I think he, is he living in Switzerland? Is that what he said? I think, I so, think in yeah. Switzerland. I think so. yeah. Okay. He pointed me at some of his work on the internet and wow, the guy's good. Plays stick, plays some other tapping instruments and he's got some stuff out there and uh, dude knows what he's doing. And he used to own a movie theater too. So there's that too. Anyway, that was kind of interesting. I'd also, uh, Hadn't really encountered Randy Gretsch. Uh, well, I've seen some of his postings on Stickus, but I never actually uh, met the guy. And so he talked a little bit and introduced himself to us. We should start a thread like every, every, every new year we have a, a Zoom call. And, and we all get to talk a little bit about what the last year was and New Year's resolutions and stuff like that. It'll be cool. You know, the get together of the stick community. Yeah. And I think next year it'll be interesting because Gene... He wrote everyone's New Year's resolutions down. And I have a feeling he's going to be, <laughs> next year, you know, he's going to be like, oh, so Victor, how'd that sight reading thing you were talking about go? That's going to be a pain. He's got it all written down. I mean, I guess it's all on video, so, but. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, now that we've done a little bit of recap on the Zoom session that we did, let's move on to the main event for this episode, and that is our interview with Igor Stolarski from line six. I don't think I need to say a whole lot about line six because most stick players are pretty familiar with the company. Having said that, here we go. Our guest today is Igor Stolarski. Igor is the embedded systems engineer. He's the tech lead for the Helix product line. He's also a freelance engineer and producer does all kinds of production, recording, mixing, live audio. He's done front of house for such artists as the Video Game Orchestra, Tina Guo, and Animals as Leaders. He's also a musician, plays guitar, in case, you know, any of the other techie stuff wasn't enough. Uh, you can find Igor on social media at The Bishop Game. That's all one word. He's done all kinds of YouTube videos, including some fun deep dives into Helix and guitar tones. Welcome, Igor, to Tappin' Time. Thank you very much for having me. So I did a very quick intro, but I think our general listeners in Stickland might not be as familiar with you. Um, care to share some things about yourself that you might want others to know? Oh, goodness. Um, well, I'm a cancer. And <laughs> hang on. Hang on. Let, where, did, where did you start? Give us the resume. We want like all the details, right? Like uh, how you got all, here, right? All the details. Um, so I... Hmm. Picked up a guitar when I was 13 and instantly fell in love with it and fell in love with music and, uh, you know, kind of was the music and theater nerd throughout high school. And then uh, as soon as I went to college, went, you know, music, what? No one does that for a living. So went straight into computer science and got a computer science degree, uh, went into video game development uh, and then realized I was spending literally every moment outside my job working on music. So I decided I should uh, pursue that in some form. Uh, went to Berkeley where I met Claire and then kicked around the studio scene in Boston for a few years, moved out to LA, you know, swore off 
off programming ever again. Um, <laughs> you know, and uh, went probably like a, a solid know, six or seven years, something like that, without without touching code. And uh, but then I needed a gig, and I started working for Line Six as a QA guy, as a product tester. And uh, one way or another, they found out I had a development background, and uh, you know, they they needed people, and so I. It, it was kind of an interesting process, but I, I ended up getting hired, even though I feel like I probably shouldn't have. And they were like, okay, cool. Well, uh, guess what? You're going to be working on this new flagship product. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and after my initial, uh, you know, dumbfoundedness, you know, started working on it and it ended up really being my thing because I was the target audience for it. Like I, I was at the time I was an Axfex guy. And that was, you know, really kind of the professional, like high level market is what Helix was trying to capture. So I just kept starting to own parts of it because nobody told me not to. <laughs> and so somehow I've ended up the lead tech on uh, on the project. Oh, that's really awesome. <laughs> so you were you were actually there before it ever got released. So you you, you yes. were like from the get go. Okay, not from the get go. Oh. Uh, that's the weird thing about Helix is uh, when I got there, and this was a couple years before it released. We were the third full team to be working on that product. It it went through so many iterations and so many different designs that like we we had a lot of stuff that was kind of handed to us that we kind of had to make work and just had to ship it. Um, so there there are things that probably if like we had been doing it from the start um, would have come out a bit different but i'm uh, very very proud of what we did uh release you should be <laughs> yeah you've got fans i think i've said this <laughs> kind of offline to uh, to igor but um even as someone who does not own any of the helix products i kind of look through the release notes on that recent release and man that is like a serious update <laughs> yeah that was so. that was a heavy lift um and, and it was a lot of work it's definitely it's the largest firmware update and largest firmware update effort um that line six has ever ever been in, involved in um and because like for line six the this whole um sustaining development where we continuously update this product that was that was new to them because you know the pod products before that you had gotten you know the thing came out and then uh they had model packs and then there would be like one firmware update or something like that if there was like a big bug that needed fixing but this whole thing where we just keep adding features and keep adding new stuff and reworking it and trying to make it better you know that was this was kind of a, a big experiment and and we think that it has uh, paid off very well is your work more specifically in the in the stomp or in helix in general uh, so I work on the entire family, like everything uh, that has a Helix or HX on it. And uh, there's there's a lot of shared code between them. But I basically I've been involved in um, writing like the UI code for for just about all of them. The engineering is is split into two sides. There's what we call the MCU side and the DSP side. And so the DSP side is the specifically the chips that do all the audio number crunching. So everything that's actually affecting the tone and the MCU side does all of the the data models and the stomps and the controllers and stuff like that and just tells the DSP side what it needs. So if you're, you know, if you're moving a block, like when you add a block, you know, all that stuff where you turn a knob and then you see the, the thing come up on the screen, that's all the stuff that I do. And then I pass off a message to the DSP side that says, okay, you need to load a block, this block in this position and set the parameters to this to make it sound like that. Got it. I'm thinking back to when I was working in the video game industry and you had level designers and then you had guys that worked actually on building the levels and the tool sets that they used. And then you had other newer guys kind of placing the sprites and, you know, maybe uh, experimenting with sound and those sorts of things. Um, who are the dreamers in this whole 
arrangement? So there, there is a, a position called the product owner. Um, who is, uh, in our case, a guy named Eric Klein, who is an absolute mensch. And he is really like, he dreamed up what Helix currently is. And he goes through and he designs basically what every screen should look like and how mm -hmm. every interaction should work. Um, and then he gives it to us so that, you know, we can place it. And then I come back and I tell him, this is a really bad idea for this reason, <laughs> this reason, this reason. And then we have yeah. an argument for an hour and then we come out of it with something that both of us are, are happy with and is better than anything either of us could have done on our own. Gotcha. Sounds like the product manager in my particular. <laughs> yeah, that's it's a very close relation. It's it's kind of like a product manager. Um, we we kind of separate it out into product owner because they're the like the overall. Um, the, I guess the the big brain overall big idea person for what that is, and then we also mm -hmm. have a project manager whose job it is just to make sure that everything is going and everything right. gets entered into Jira and all the the burn down <laughs> things. Oh, Jira! You and, said that. Oh yeah. my goodness! I can't. I'm sorry, I use the J word. Yeah, we're a Jira camp as well. <laughs> Yeah, I tell you. So. That's a project management software for anyone who doesn't know. Yeah. It's, so I'm, I'm kind of relating to it in the same way that I worked um, in the video game industry for, for a short bit, mostly as a tester. But, um, you know, from where we look at it kind of in the stick world, it is, you know, the HX is a bit of a revelation. And, and Claire and Vic, I hope you'll let me know if I'm kind of getting off subject or steering away from our five important topics to hit on, but I'll, I'll start with this. <laughs> I'll start with this. So there, there's always a lot of questions with the Chapman stick, you know, like when, especially when somebody gets one or when someone's been reading about them and they say, well, it's like two instruments in one, man. It's got like a bass side and a melody side. And there's this whole romantic notion of what it could be and what it should be. And I'm going to run this on the left hand and I'm going to run this on the right hand or, you know, when it comes down to like reality, right? You've got crosstalk, right? And then you've got like polarity and you've got two different amps now. And now you're dealing with all these different things. And what is beautiful about the HX for us in the kind of the, the, the tap world, and I say the stick, but I mean really any tapping instrument that uses a single beam that has two outputs. So the HX allows two ins and then this routable output which is fascinating. And so that's why the HX has become very popular very fast, along with other units. Um, you mentioned the Axe FX. That's also a, a very popular, more high-end product, obviously, but for like 600 bucks, well, okay. <laughs> this is going to be so much fun. So the, 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 the HX is this, it, it answers this age-old you know, question or dilemma for us of, of putting it all in, in one box. And so, you know, I have some questions about like, I mean, where do you start a project like this? I can't even imagine, you know, when somebody says like, well, it also has to have MIDI in and out, right? Why can't it just have MIDI? Or it also has to have expression, you know, and uh, it uses this kind of one-two configuration we're using a TRS cable. Like it, it answers everything so perfectly for us. And so I'm so curious to know like, uh, kind of how it started. And you mentioned it passed through three different teams. Like, tell us a little bit about the birth of the HX. 
So the it was Helix that that passed through uh, a couple of different teams. Um, the HX Stomp that kind of came into fruition once Helix had been released because we you know first we needed to make sure that that was going to be a thing. But Helix came out and was very well received. And again, Eric Klein starts streaming. And so uh, I'm trying to remember exactly when it was, but it was like fairly early into Helix being out. He's like. What'd you guys think about like if we managed to fit Helix into a stomp box? And the, you know, those of us that he said that to were like, that sounds awesome. <laughs> Let's do that. Um, <laughs> So and it, so it was this kind of uh, this idea of, of having a lot of this power, a lot of the same stuff that that Helix can do, but in this like teensy tiny little package that you can just stick. And because the uh, the idea of having that much power with like the amp modeling and all this effects in like that small of a package, there wasn't much I could deliver on that, and certainly not at you know Helix quality levels. But we actually we ended up doing a different product first. We ended up doing the the HX effects first, which was the um, the version that doesn't have any amp modeling that only has uh, has effects, which also does uh, has uh, stereo inputs and outputs. So there there might be some people that that like that one as well. And it, it was probably good that we actually did that first for a number of reasons, just in terms of our workflow and and some of the stuff that we ended up developing in the process of creating that, that then allowed us to really facilitate the creation of the HX Stomp. But w with the HX Stomp, the idea was really... Um, so, okay we're modeler nerds and we're digital nerds and like we all you know we we all do recording and 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 daw and when i say we i mean at line six um you know so we we know our recording stuff and then we know midi and 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 we're you know we're into this tech stuff and so it's easy for us to assume you know especially like because we make modelers like okay everyone you know we're, we're targeting all these modeler people and stuff but like the real wake-up call is 85 percent of guitar players don't touch anything digital ever. And they think of it as dirty word, or at least they think they don't. They might have their like Strymon pedals or whatever that actually are digital, but you know, they look analog enough that, that that's what they're using. We have a fair share of that, actually. We have a fair share of that. And yeah. I'm in that 85% that like finds like that one patch I like, and I'm like, best pedal ever. I haven't even touched like <laughs> the position of the mic or the different speakers or like the way you can hot rod the amps. And If it sounds good, it is good. So, so you don't need to. But, you know, there's 85%, there's all this entire market segment of guitar players, and, and because we are focused on, on, on guitar, that we we're like, they would never consider buying Helix. Like, they would never, you know, th th it's just not their their thing. But what about, you know, if this was just like a stomp box, it was a pedal, if it looked good on a pedal board, if it was the same sort of format as these like three, we went through multiple different iterations. There was like a two switch version, there was a four switch version. We ended up on the, the, the three switch version. But yeah, the idea was we wanted this thing to live on pedal boards. We, if people wanted to use it as their amp simulator, they can, they don't have to, if they want, they can run it in four cable method and they can switch preamps in and out and they can use their amp or they can not use their amp. But we really wanted this to be something for the amp and pedal guys. We didn't, we decided we didn't want it to be a tiny helix. We didn't want it to be just like a tiny modeler, which is one of the reasons um, that at first it was only targeted for six positions, for six block positions. Now with the, the 3.0 update, you can have eight blocks. But that limitation was, uh, I mean, there were technical sides to it as well, but we were okay with it from an aesthetic choice because it's not 
it's not meant to do everything that Helix does. And then we got a lot of blowback from people that were like, wait, but this is supposed to be a tiny Helix. We need it to do everything that Helix can do. <laughs> and then we're, and we're just like, uh. but yeah, so the idea was really just to, to almost make it a gateway drug into modeling for <laughs> the pedalboard crowd. I'm curious, you, you've kind of tapped a little into this, but I'm curious how and maybe this isn't all that answerable. You've got a product line um, and already the Helix has, I think three different versions and then you mm -hmm. have, you know, the HX and how, I mean, what kind of things come into play in when you determine what you have, how, if, if you're going to expand the product line, I mean, you talked about the HX effects in a little bit, but mm -hmm. how much goes into that, into determining the final decision on whether you go ahead or not? Obviously, you know, I think, I imagine part of the talk was like, you know, if we sell this little kind of not really sort of tiny helix, how much does that eat into the helix market? <laughs> yeah. Know, what, however much you're willing to, to say about how you make those decisions about the product line. And, and I mean, the answer is a lot of conversations and I personally, I'm involved in, in, in some of them. Um, I personally don't ultimately get a say <laughs> on whether or not something gets made. And there's probably that, that might be for the best. Cause there, there's probably some things that I would have said no to that have done don't really tell well. Igor. <laughs> don't tell Igor. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's basically like, I mean, it, it all starts of like, would this be cool? Is, would this be a good product? Would, would this be something that, that people... Doesn't that cost can... a lot of money? Wouldn't it be cool? Like every time somebody right. says, wouldn't it be cool? Just like $10,000, like just disappear into the ether. You know, like... But, sure. But it's got to... I mean, it has to start from like a point where we're like, this is a compelling product. Like sure. we think this might be interesting. After that, there's a ton of validation that goes into it. There's market validation. There's like, we, we verify, like we try to figure out, okay, what would the price point for this thing? Like what thing, what do we want it to do? Like what, who do we want it to target? You know, what does it need to be made of? How much is it going to cost to make and how much can we sell it for? Um, so there's, there's a lot of things like that for, and, and then like, who are the competitors? You know, who are, who else is, is doing stuff in this sure. field? Do we have anything to offer? And, you know, on, honestly, sometimes like depending on who's working at the company at the time, depending on whose responsibility is, is those answers might be different because uh, we've definitely had things where there's there's been disagreement on, you know, whether this is even a good product for line six to make mm. and, and, and so on. Those core values, is it really what is where we want to go? Yeah, exactly. And there's been and there's, there's been sh shifting focus because line, line six has done live sound stuff before. Uh, and then after the Yamaha acquisition, we kind of made made the decision that we're really going to just like focus on guitar again. And so it, it's really just like taking stock of everything that's going on at the moment and taking stock of our resources and taking stock of our ideas and and seeing if we have something that we can put out that we think would be good and is also you know a viable commercial product. Can you tell us more about the Yamaha acquisition and how that changes your trajectory at Line Six? Uh, sure. Uh, th this is interesting because, like, I'm always driven a little bit crazy when I see these comments about how, like, you know, it's like, oh yeah, Yamaha bought them and then they got really good, and and I kind of just want to <laughs> like put my fist through the internet because at least for the development side. What happened was the acquisition happened and we showed them what they were, what we were doing. And they were like, this is great. Keep going. And then they left us alone. They gave us an engineer 
and then they just kind of let us do our thing. And for the most part, that has been the way it's been for Helix is they trust us. And I mean, that was the reason they acquired line six is that they liked what we did and they thought that, you know, we would be a good part of the Yamaha family. And, uh, yeah. And I mean, there's, there's definitely, there's been collaboration on like other products, like things like the, uh, the trans acoustic guitars and the, um, the THR practice amps and stuff like that. Um, and then the, uh, the very X standard guitars. So there's been like collaboration between the two and they have certainly helped with, uh, the logistics part of it and, you know, combining sales and A&R and things like that. Um, but mostly for development, other than, you know, sometimes using our personnel uh, to work on joint projects, you know, for Helix, they just let us do our thing. Uh, and it's mm-hmm. that's been, you know, very appreciated on, on our side, certainly. Uh, but yeah, so it was like Helix was at the time of the acquisition. Um, yeah, so I came on, like I actually started as an engineer just a bit after they actually acquired us. And it probably okay. took like a solid year of them just like of the dust settling before they really like kind of took a look at stuff. And yeah, and they just were like, okay, cool, finish it. <laughs> So um, I wasn't I wasn't aware of the Yamaha acquisition to tell you the truth. I wasn't aware that they, that Line Six had been that there was this partnership. But um, I know that recently, like I think Ampeg was also purchased by Yamaha. Okay, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so we are now the Yamaha Guitar Group. That is our official name. Um, Yam- oh. uh, Line Six has been uh, dissolved as a business entity. Um, so we are a brand that is part of the Yamaha Guitar Group, which consists of Yamaha Guitars, Line 6, and Ampeg. Okay. Uh, so help those of us who don't know much about the company. Uh, where is <laughs> where is the former business entity of Line Six um, located? The, the Line Six offices are in Calabasas, California, which is uh, just outside of well, just outside uh, of Los Angeles. Uh, depends on on the traffic that day, which if you know anything about Los Angeles <laughs> is highly variable um, yeah. and incredibly vexing. But uh, yeah, no. So it's it, it is this sort of this big partnership where we're we're kind of all sharing uh, sharing people. And like for example, the former QA lead of Helix is now the product owner of Ampeg, uh, Dom Liberati. He's a phenomenal bass player. He's uh, also a, a, an artist that I've I've done a bunch of mixing for. Goes uh, Liberati on Spotify. Check it out. Uh, he's rad. 
but wow. uh, yeah, so there, there's like there's definitely been a lot of a lot of collaboration there, and our sound designers work on Yamaha and Ampeg stuff, and yeah, it, it, it's it's nice. Don't you love it when it works? I love it when it works. It sounds so cool because, you know, as a bassist, I had a, I had a bunch of Ampeg gear. I had mm-hmm. a, like a weird cabinet that was like tilted at one point and it was like two twelves and an inverted one fifteen. No, it was two mm-hmm. tens. It was two tens that were kind of angled mm-hmm. up. And then there was like a backwards facing, I think a 12 or a 15 inch cabinet pointed down and it was most, the most unique like speaker I'd ever had. And then I had all these great Ampegs. I had a, um, SVT two, SVT three, mm-hmm. like a whole collection of them, and I always had uh, a good experience with Ampegs. Yeah, no, Ampeg was actually always sort of my base brand of choice as well. And uh, when the acquisition happened, it was really cool because so um, if for anyone that's like not familiar with the, you know the Line Six products, or, but really any any modeling in general, you have to play a little bit coy with like the model names with the names of, of the gear that you're modeling because oh yeah, you don't want to oh, step on anyone's trademark. This is the question trademark. I wanted to ask. Yeah, this is, um, this is, you're going right to it. You're going yeah, right no, to but it. We, going. we all got psyched because we were like, oh wait a minute, can we can we actually change it to the <laughs> real names now um and and the answer was yes and so now like all of the the ampeg stuff that we had in line six in i forget starting with which for i think it was with 290 uh we started using all the actual ampeg names and we've also we we have a couple uh we've worked with a couple uh other companies that have been super chill and let us use the name so like the uh Mm. Remp rev amplification guys uh, were super cool and and let us uh, use the actual amp name and then in the most recent update we added the uh, Horizon Devices Precision Drive which is distortion and the uh, that company also they were totally cool with us using wow uh, calling it the Horizon that is so different yeah like uh, you know I have I have some zoom pedals that are multi effects and they've got all these names and you have to go on the internet and find out what people think. So yeah, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. Hey, um, if we can step back just a couple more minutes back mm-hmm. into the development process. Okay. Sure. So I'm a mechanical engineer. I work in product development. I work in multifunction teams, mechanical, electrical, firmware, you know, all this mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Jira. Um, but uh, really quick, how many people are on the team that came up with Helix? And I'm going to geek out just for a second here. I think it's amazing that something that's crammed that full of electronics that has what obviously is a semi-substantial transformer. Was it difficult keeping that thing from catching on fire every time it's on for a half hour? (laughs) Actually, no, because our uh, electrical and mechanical guys are really, really good. Um, And that was one of the things is I, I, you know, people were like, Oh, you know, is it, is it safe to, to leave this thing on? Is it safe to put it in this? And like, we left that thing up on the roof of our office in August in, (laughs) in the Valley in (laughs) California for 
a full day to make sure that was okay. I mean, we also do like more proper heat testing, but I mean, that thing was tested till I think 150 degrees or wow. something ridiculous like that. And mm-hmm. and also cold testing as well. You know, we, we need to make sure that this thing is going to be fine on festival stages in the summer. Like this, right. it's a pro piece, of, a pro piece of gear. Um, so yeah, it's, it's fine. Like you're, you're not going to be able to cut. Oh thing. no, I wasn't asking. I'm assuming it's fine. I'm just asking how difficult it was for your mechanical engineers to figure that out. I'm honestly not, I feel like they just have a lot of experience at this point and they're mm-hmm. just like, okay, we, we know what to do here. Um, okay. and so it's just, it's, it's, you know, a collaborative effort between the, uh, the Mechie and the, and the EE teams, um, in terms of the size of the team. So it depends on what time in the product cycle it is. I think at its peak, like on the, so we've got two main software guys that work on like the the editor and the updater and and stuff like that um on the firmware side for the sort of the mcu side that i work on we've had i'm trying to think of how many we had as we were finishing i think we had something like eight and then another two dsp guys if i'm remembering correctly uh and then there was one lead electrical engineer and um sort of one or two other engineers that could assist uh, and then one lead mechanical with another couple that would assist as well. Um, then there's we have a full QA team. There's a, a lead and a variable number of testers that can be anywhere between, you know, uh, between three and eight, I guess. Uh, I'm trying to remember exactly. Uh, but yeah, so like we had a, a significant number like at its maximum. We've also been down to where like, I was effectively the only MCU engineer working on it for, you know, for significant parts of updates. And then we would be like me, one other MCU engineer, one DSP engineer, um, and also our sound mm-hmm. designers. For a lot of this, we we had uh, just two sound designers, the guys that actually model the amps and effects. We recently acquired a third, which has been amazing. <laughs> All uh, right. But yeah, so that, that's kind of that's kind of what what we're working with. Well, I appreciate uh, that insight. It's, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to modeling, mm-hmm. the amping question that I had was: Did they listen to it and go, "Nah"? You mean the the Ampeg guys? <laughs> the, the Ampeg guys. guys? Did they come in? They're like, "Who's the, where are the Line Six guys?" You know, like, "Where's their offices?" <laughs> like, "What's this?" You know, I'm no. Just, that that's the thing is like so. This will probably. Ruffle. I'm not trying to like. I'm digging in the dirt a little, but like I'm actually just looking for some fun. Yeah, no, no totally. Um, I mean, in terms of modeling philosophy, uh, th- this is actually interesting. Is Line Six very much takes the modeling philosophy of warts and all? Like we were trying to model the realist amp like as much as we could. And that means that like you know, in a given amp, like if you can make that thing sound good, then it'll sound good. But you could also probably make that thing sound pretty bad. And and so that was, you know, that was kind of a choice we made because that is what people say they want. They say they want the real amp sound. You know, they want it to sound as realistic as possible. I've been finding that's not actually the case lately. I, th- I feel like people <laughs> say that they want that. But based on like a lot of preferences that I hear expressed and like a lot of the stuff that, you know, people say they like, I'm really getting the impression that people like 
idealized version of, of, of things. They they don't actually want what a real amp sounds like. They want what that like super doctored, super edited amp on, you know, on their favorite records sounds like. They 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 do want you to like fix the the sort of the inadequacies uh, of things. And they don't want to hear, you know, crossover distortion or like weird, you know, excessive amounts of sag and stuff like that. So that that's been an, an interesting thing, but um, in terms of like people who like actually make gear responding to it, they tend to really like Helix, and they tend to really like all all of our models. That's yeah. I was kind of curious about that because I mean, it, you mentioned like you're really into modeling, and like I I I'm, I'm like I feel shame, you know, like I know nothing about modeling, I know nothing about, but I can tell you anything you want to know about a Chapman stick ever. Right? Yeah, so, sure. So when so when I come in, you know, and it's like I just want like compression side for the base side. You know, there's like so many things to consider. And I had an HD 500x, and so you know I'm kind of familiar with how it's configured. But sometimes it's just really intimidating. It's really intimidating with all these options. Yeah. And you were saying like, hey, we take it really seriously, and I'm like, yeah, you do you take it so seriously. Like like the, the the placement of the mic, and the and then there's all these variables for the speakers and for the amps and for the modeling as well. Um, I'm so curious to know, like, how, how is that crafted? You know, like what is, you know, like a 212 tweet or whatever it is that, you know, you're, you're trying to make. It's so hard to, to, for me to conceptualize that. Whereas I'm just looking, used to looking at a compressor and there's two knobs on it and I turn it left or right, you know, like this is right. Kind of well, so the fine, the funny thing is that for all of the options and all of the power you have, this is us trying to make it user friendly. <laughs> um, but the thing about that is, the unfortunate thing about modelers in general is that it reward they they reward a level of audio engineering knowledge um because an important thing to remember about all of this stuff is that in in many cases and particularly if you're using the uh the amp simulators it's not the same as just having an amp sitting next to you with the speakers on the floor firing at your knees and you having a bunch of pedals that you're plugging into and then plugging into that amp. It's beer. not the, it's not that. What red it is wine. is what? I said red beer, red wine. <laughs> well, what it is is it's the sound of that rig being in the live room of a studio and then you sitting in the control room of that studio with soundproof glass in between you and listening to that through the studio monitors. So there's a level of separation there. And as soon as you get to that point, now there's also a bunch of other things in the way, like a microphone, the position of that microphone, you know, the way like the, the mic, you know, the, the choice of the microphone on that specific cab. And then in some cases, you know, whatever the, the board and whatever. But the, the point is that you can't treat it the same way that you kind of do with just like a normal analog live rig. Because the thing is, even with those analog live rigs, you don't hear them the same way that the audience hears them. And now you're put in the position of hearing them the same way that your audience hears them instead of the way that you're used to dialing them in in the practice room or whatever. And that's a sea change that, that I feel like a lot of people kind of have trouble adjusting to because also now all of a sudden you have a completely different playback system that you're listening to unless you are plugging that thing into your practice room amp, you know, and bypassing the, the amp stuff. But if you're listening to this thing on headphones or studio monitors, that is just going to sound wildly different than the amp that you are playing in, in, in the practice room. So it's just it's just a sort of a completely different 
situation. Now, in, in terms of how we like choose to to model that stuff and what we choose, it's this is just sort of the you know the gear, the tools of the trade for the. Um, for for guitarists and for the the amps that they use and, and the effects that are coming used and we're just kind of looking we're always looking for like okay what hole is there in our sonic arsenal what thing what sound can you not get out of this thing that people might want so you know every you know with amps it's always it's hard because like the number one thing that people ask us for online is like hey model this amp and there are so many amps out there and then and like even though there's you know only however many like actual basic amp circuits that then get modified a little bit or whatever you know there's only so many versions of a Marshall Plexi you can have but it's always it's like model this one specific pet amp and we're like well I mean you can probably just get that same sound by tweaking this model but um, but we you know for example there's there's a model of the uh, the Friedman BE100 that we called the placator because people just would not <laughs> shut up about that thing and, and we're like Okay, here. <laughs> so we called it the placator. Um, but yeah, so it, it's kind of, it's both like paying attention to what our users are asking for and so, then finding, you know, the the things. In terms of, you know, cabs and stuff like that, most of the time it's what is, it, like for combos, for amps that, where it's the, the amp and the speaker in the same thing, we'll just do the speakers that are attached to it. Um, and then there are sort of like the more, you know, common types of cabs that get used. Like you have to have a Mesa 420 12 cab with vintage 30 speakers in it. That is just like a bog standard thing that a guitarist would expect to be in there. Uh, and then we tried to kind of provide an assortment of the most common mics used to record, uh, used for recording this stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the, the approach there. I have a, I mean, this is going to be kind of drawn out, but it's, it's a little related, but more, more towards the, the stickiest community. So as stick players, um, I think we've mentioned that the HX Stomp has been pretty popular lately. I, I know historically like the, the 500 and I, I know there's some stickists out there with like helixes and, and those kind of things. But um, the Stomp in particular is very, very popular right now. I suspect mm -hmm. it's kind of bang for the buck. It's a nice it's a nice package. In, in all that you mentioned about modeling and how it's pretty different, you know, when, when we come in as stick players, we grab a piece of gear. And again, the, you know, I'm going to refer to this stomp because I know that's what like Victor and Gene have. And again, I know a lot of folks have it right now. You know, you, you get your two inputs, two outputs, and we can sit there and call up presets, you know, like a guitar preset for the melody and a bass preset for the, for our bass side. It's not going to be quite right because the instrument is pretty different. Right. And I think just for, for someone who's not like really into amps and, you know, a lot of times you're kind of new to your instrument, suggestions for making the the setting up your sound a little simpler for someone who doesn't want to deal, oh God, I have to have this tone stack and I don't know what SAG is and just a, a process for just setting that up to get something decent initially for those of us. And, and again, like I don't think any stick players expect that a company is going to spend any time setting up presets for us. We're just too small a market. We know it, <laughs> <laughs> but, but just to go from like, if I call up some, like some guitar preset, I like, what could I go to, to make it work better? And I, and I know you don't know the stick necessarily. So I'm asking more general kind of things to, to think about. Well, okay. So the uh, the presets thing is also uh, kind of a hot topic, just even in the guitar community, um, where 
I mean, we we jokingly have you know the this phrase that just all presets suck. TM. <laughs> um, and, and the idea there being that like making a preset is a very personal thing, and you're going to make a preset using. First of all, your ears and your instrument, but also your monitoring situation and your particular tastes and your particular context. So you make that preset that works for you for that thing that you want. And then you send it to your buddy who then tries to use it for a different instrument and a different genre and a different playing style. And they hold their instrument a different way and they're playing through completely different speakers. And they go, what the hell? This sucks. So... When when we're making GM. Yeah. Um so when we're making presets like the stock presets on there, we are trying to provide ideas and be like, hey, this is a thing you could do. This is a sound you could get from it. And maybe there's something there that sparks your interest, and then you can tweak it to uh to something you like. So, but in terms of just like kind of getting something that you want. Like the, the, what I was leading to with that is you're going to want to make your own. And like I said, unfortunately, this like audio engineering knowledge is really rewarded here. So at least some you kind of figuring out the way some things work, like getting a general idea of how a compressor works, getting a, a general idea of, you know, maybe a couple amp or cab models that you might want to use. But what I would do is, you know, and then let's go ahead and specify it for the, for the stick. Um, go ahead and open an empty preset and create any block so that you can then create your split to get your, uh, your two inputs. And then let's say you've got your just two empty lines and then start with the one, like if you're starting with your, your bass sound, and I'm just going to wildly assume that you want to put both the bass and the melody through an amp. Go ahead and just pull up an amp and cab. Um, we we combine them into a uh, into a, a single block. You can also separate them out if you want to go crazy with you know dual cabs or, or whatever. But just for simplicity, pull up you know an an amp and cab block, and just don't touch anything except for drive for sort of the amount of distortion that you want and then bass mid and treble just start with those if you if you want to get real crazy you can mess with the presence parameter <laughs> which just it makes it brighter it just happens in a different point in the amp but that is your basic building block for your tone get something that you kind of like there and this is, you know, this is assuming that you you find an amp you like. Like first, just like kind of spin through through the amps, see if there's anything that jumps out to you. And with with cabs, I mean, I would say just like just take the the cab, whatever cab is is matched with it, because we try to match those to the cab you are most likely to use with that amp. In the case of combos, it's the it's the cab that, you know, is part of that thing. If it's something like a head, then, you know, we try to sort of pick the the cab that is, you know, the best suited for it. And if like, you know, if there's something that you're twiddling those knobs and and it's just it's just not happening there. First, I would say, honestly, try a different amp. But if if, if you feel like there's a kernel of what you want there, go into the cab and try changing the mics because there's a lot of different tonal options in the mics. I personally, I gravitate towards the ribbons we have, the um, the 121 and the 160 there. The 160 is a, a personal favorite. And just see if there's anything that, that jumps out to you there. 
Um, and, and again, this is another thing, like if you kind of have an idea of like what different mics sound like and how those different mics are used in recording, it's going to be a lot easier to pick one that sounds good to you. But that is going to be the base of every tone. And, and I, I see a lot of people who are like, I'm not happy with my tone. Like I, you know, should I start messing with EQ? It's like, no, start at the source. <laughs> like, make sure that your, you know, your instrument, your amp, and your cab are are kind of doing the thing. And then, and I would do that for for both sides. And and sort of like, I feel like once you have that, because that that is the kernel of your tone, right? Like, that's the the most basic part of it. There's a lot of stuff you can do afterwards. You can get all your time effects. You can get your reverb and your delay going. You can add modulation. Um, you can add, you know, compression. But you need to have that basic sound there to begin with because otherwise, you know, to, to you know, quote the famous saying, you're polishing a turd. Hmm. Hey, so <laughs> on that note, yes. uh, so on that note, so I, I want to talk about preamps in particular, but before I do that, I want to go back even further and and talk about before we even get to the imp, mm -hmm. things like attenuation, things like global settings for EQs, or possibly like noise gates. Mm -hmm. There's all these discussions about. I don't want to use a space for it. There's a global noise gate. Sure. And then other considerations for players that have active or passive pickups. Some considerations mm -hmm. for that all needs to be. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, because even before we get to the modeling, the awesome, like nougaty, like sure. center of this, there's all these things to consider. And so that's currently where I am and have been for about a year. So, so with active versus passive, don't worry about it. Just straight up, do not worry about it. Uh, the only part of it that you need to worry about so is awesome. that's like music to my ears. Yeah, <laughs> is uh, how loud it is. And um, with uh, 290, we added the clip indicators. If you're not clipping, you're fine. If you see that red light occasionally, turn on the pad. That's it. Some people in general will claim that it sounds better with the pad on, but really all that means is they like a lower uh, lower input level um, because the pad is effectively the same thing as just dropping your input level 5.43 decibels. Can you be specific about that? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, I, I think, our, Claire, I think we I only go down to... I thought you said he was to... like technical. What's going on? <laughs> I, I quote that exactly because uh, I remember at one point I was discussing this with, with our um, with our DS, lead DSP engineer who like had the, the actual specifications of, of the part and everything. And uh, the gain block inside Helix, I think only goes down to one decimal point. I was trying to figure out exactly where to set it so I could <laughs> AB it with the, the pad to verify that it was doing basically the same thing. Um, but the, the short answer is yes, it does exactly the same thing. It just drops your level. It's not going to affect your tone. If you are adamant that everything sounds better with the pad on, you just like an, a lower input level. Gotcha. So yeah, the pad is there for basically if, if your, uh, input is just too hot and we have like a really high signal to noise ratio. So I believe it is theoretically possible to at least trigger that light if you have the pad on. Um, but it'll go off, I think, if for it's like Pro Tools where it'll, it'll go off for a single sample. Um, so if you get a single sample of overage, that'll, so if you just, if you see it go red once, you're fine. Don't worry. It, like you just don't want sustained red on the, gotcha. on the clip indicator. Okay. So for, so for active and passive, not going to worry about it. 
In terms yeah. of like having a signal that's too hot, you can pad it. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little, is, are there any other considerations for global settings? Um, the global settings are really there just for you to configure the unit to be used the way that you want. So it's important for things like if you're going to be running out into other pedals. Um, like, for example, incidentally, the reason that we have two separated inputs and outputs um, that is is so convenient for, for you stickers, which... Has anyone suggested the name Sticklers? I like Sticklers. Anyway. Um, That's not funny. It's not, not even oh, funny. Hey. You, can, you can cut that out. Be nice, um, James. <laughs> the, uh, the reason that there are two inputs and outputs is because we wanted you to be able to put this in a stereo pedal rig anywhere that you want. So if you wanted to run this after a stereo reverb or delay for whatever reason or some other stereo processor, you've got a stereo mod that you can't give up then you you can do that and you can have, or you can output stereo to another stereo processor. That was the whole idea there. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, it makes your <laughs> <laughs> it's It's good to hear your perspective because people do get, like they get bent about their stereo processing, two ins, two outs. So oh, like for, yeah, absolutely. So for us, like, you know, like we're always like, you've been making these stereo things wrong the whole time. You should be making them dual mono. With <laughs> right. Two individual pedals on the same pedal. Give us something we can use. And so then along comes, you know, the HX Stomp, and it's mm -hmm. like, go play stickest <laughs> you may, you know. So. Um, hold on, remind me what I was we were talking about. about <laughs> global settings. Why don't we, just other global settings, attenuation, oh, global settings, right. you know, like like attenuation and things like that, you know, like, and you, you bring up a good point. And then I'm just going to digress for a quick moment here. And that is, is that um, as a, as a, just a musician in particular, you, you may have like a performance rig and you may have a rig that you use in the studio or may, you know, you take to a friend's house, you've got a couple of different rigs. And so with the HX Stomp, it's so fantastic because you can have a powered amp or a bass amp or whatever it is, but you, there do, like you're saying, there needs to be some sort of consideration for the platform you are pushing it to. Absolutely. And, and if it is a component part of a pedal board, then there's all these other considerations that you need to, you know, make it just look like another pedal on the board so that the other pedals aren't like, hey, we're getting outsourced, you know, like <laughs> along comes this HX stomp and now we don't, where's the compressor? You know, there's like, yes, think of the other pedals and how they feel. <laughs> They're the real right, here. Right? Like, no consideration. You can put this pedal anywhere in the loop. It's so fantastic. Right. But that was uh, what I was getting at was that, um, you know, some of the, the for example, like the, the outputs, you can set them to either mic to line level or instrument level. And the idea there is that so you can accept, you know, accept that or send that because the other stuff around it is, is expecting that. Um, I see. Yeah. And things like the global EQ, uh, you shouldn't be using that unless you need to adjust for something in the room. The idea behind the global EQ mm -hmm. is that you dial in your perfect presets at home, you go to the gig, you like get there and oh my God, there's this like whomping resonance at 180 hertz in the room. You got to get rid of that. So you dial it out. Um, you should not be using, you know, the global EQ, for example, as part of your tone building. That's, that's definitely okay. not what that's for. Got it. And other, you know, so that like I, the, the input gate is there for convenience is exactly the same as the noise gate model. That's just in the dynamics category. It's just built in. And similarly, the global EQ, there's nothing magical about it. It's exactly the same as the parametric EQ model. Um, it's just placed after everything, after the normal signal flow. So would you look at these as maybe ways to save a block? 
The well, not the global EQ, but the um, the input gate is definitely there to keep you from having to add a noise gate block. Um, depending, you know, for, for some applications, so for, you know, all of all my, my high gain guys, like a lot of them like putting a noise gate after a distortion pedal. Personally, I'm not a big fan of that, but it does have a different effect and it tends to, it tends to sometimes control high end and it just kind of, it just reacts a little bit differently because you're sort of compressing the signal already before you're going in. And so you, you, you know, some people do like, they're unfortunately a little SOL and they're going to have to, uh, they're going to have to burn a block on that. But yeah, that was, that was another thing. That was another reason that we expanded the number of blocks you can add in the 3.0 update is because there's so many people that were going out into other pedals, for example, and they're going like, man, having to have an effects loop block or like the send and return blocks, this is killing me. Cause if like, if you have to have both of those different points in the signal flow, you've only got four blocks to work with. And they're like, and they literally go like, if we could just have two more blocks, if we could just have two more blocks, this would be perfect. And we're like, all right, fine. <laughs> we'll make this work. <laughs> well, I haven't experimented with the new blocks, but it's, it's unprecedented. And it feels like, it feels like to me, it's so hard to figure out what comes after, you know, for at least for pedal people. I mean, obviously for mm -hmm. Helix, there's still a whole world to explore. But just as like a, a pedal person, for me, it, it, it allowed me to kind of get back to work because I was comparing all these different pedals and it really became less about making music and recording music. Mm -hmm. And this quest for, um, you know, something that's going to make me sound cool. And, and that gets back to that, wouldn't it be cool if... You know, and, and it's like, wouldn't it be cool if you had a pedal for the bass and the melody side and you could have this many patches and that many patches? And, it's, you know, so it, it, it did allow me to kind of kind of focus more on music. But what I do feel is that I'm using about, you know, 4% of the pedal. Mm -hmm. and so that's why, you know, it, it's interesting to hear you say like, hey, like a, a small amount of like recording, sound recording engineering experiences is, is well rewarded here. So we have uh, a member of our stick community, uh, Rob, Rob Martino. I was going to tell him about Rob Martino. So, and you may know Rob Martino. He's kind of in your world. Um, he's a sound designer, I believe. He is he working with Apple? He's at Apple. He does stuff with Logic. Um, All right. He was yeah. originally, wasn't it Wave Arts? He did the plugins oh, okay. there, which I think Apple bought. And I, you know, so I, I think he does. So I think I know his work, <laughs> maybe if I don't. But know yeah, you, you've probably used the stuff he's developed. Mm -hmm. Let's put it that way. So he did a. So maybe check this out, Igor. He he did a, an album called One Cloud, which was very popular with the stick community, and it's mm -hmm. a lot of. Um, and he's like a big fan of like seventies prog and, and pop music, and um, he, Rob's a he, like he kind of turned us all onto Gentle Giant. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a band that he listened to a lot of, but. Um, also very well spoken and like he's done like I think even a TED talk on the Chapman stick. He's he's really Oh wow. Now I I believe he was using sorry to interrupt you there, Gene, but I believe he was using uh one of the five hundreds. I forget which specific one. He was a big he's actually in one of the Freehands Fridays uh sessions. That's right. Um so he was at the time I think he's kind of moved towards more software based stuff now, but and I, I could be wrong about that, but um, he still he loves his. Yeah. He still loves. Uh, he still. I think he. I think he has an HX stomp, and I think he's also a big fan of the step about too. So I think mm -hmm. those are those are two pedals that he likes to have as outboard gear. But yeah, it's fun to talk sound design with him, and and he he yeah he was a big fan of the HD five hundred, and he's uh, a lot of times in our threads on the stickest. He'll be the one being like, hmm, 
How do I explain this to a sickest? Okay, so you know, because like, we'll have these, these very like um, complex, like sound design type of conversations have to be like dumbed down for a guy like me, where it's like, okay, it's blue or it's red, and it's more <laughs> red, and I'm like, okay, it's more red, I, like that. I get, you know, and it's like, and. <laughs> Yeah. So, so Rob, Rob has spent a lot of time doing that. So he's been kind of an advocate for like, Hey, like a little sound design, learn it, like understand mm -hmm. levels of input, understand levels of output and all the things that, that, that come along with it. You know, eager before one, one more minute went by, I wanted to ask you if anyone has ever asked you, can you make it sound more warm? <laughs> Thankfully, not in this contact. No one has ever made me, no one has ever asked me to make the a Helix product sound more warm. I have been asked that many times in a production and engineering context. Um, but uh, yeah, no, got, got away with that one. Okay, because I, 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 I hear this and I look at the threads online, and this guitar's like, yeah, it's kind of, you know, what it lacks is warmth. And I'm kind of like, is that, that's like asking for a dry white wine. It's like, whatever do you mean? Like, I don't know what that means. So yeah, no, I mean, that's, that, that's always the sort of in any sort of audio engineering circle, there's always like, Oh man, I, I feel like it could just be like a little warmer and a little punchier. And, uh, <laughs> punchy. I forgot punchy. I forgot. And just punchy. like maybe a little yeah. chewy. And, um, <laughs> the one we get a lot is feel. Um, where they're like, I don't know, man, it sounds great, but it, it doesn't feel right. And I'm like, what, what, that's could your you drummer, bro. That's not me. Well, no, <laughs> I mean, really that's, that's, they're not feeling their legs. Like the, they're not feeling the cloth of their pants against their legs from their right. amp moving. That's really, I mean, that's a real thing. I mean, let's turn it up and turn it so up. So this, this, I've actually spent a lot of time exploring what people mean yeah. by that because the psychology because, of, of <laughs> musical well, terminology. That and also just because it's like, okay, I, you know, just like, we, you know, you're a musician and you play your music for people and out of the 30 people, let's say there's 30 people in the crowd and 29 people tell you that was awesome. And the one guy goes... <laughs> Yeah. And you're like, okay, what, what did you not like? Tell, you need to tell me everything. Um, and it's like that. Cause like I can, you know, read praise threads online all day. And the one guy who goes like, yeah, this doesn't sound right. I'm like, Come here! <laughs> um, but I really, because I really want to know, okay, what are, what are you not reacting to? Is this something that is just like, okay, we're never going to please you because you have some expectation or some desire that doesn't align with what we do, or is this something that we can actually improve on? So this is, and the stuff that like, that people say like that, because a lot of times, you know, be, especially if they don't have a lot of engineering knowledge, there's something that people won't like about what they're getting and they won't be able to articulate it except with terms like that with like, Oh, there's something about th there's this a preset thing. sucks. That's all uh, yeah, exactly. Other than this preset sucks, but they will be like, <laughs> there's a feel, there's something that I get when I would play my, you know, my favorite amp that I'm not getting with this. And in some cases, the thing I was talking about where they just, they don't really know what it's like to have that disconnect with the amp in the other room. But in, in, in some cases it's like, you know, it, it's people who do have that, that experience. And like recently I, I spent uh, a bunch of time talking with, um, John Brown, who's the guitarist of a, a metal band called Monuments. 
And we kind of went into this and it really like, I kind of boil it down to like, okay, it ultimately is something that you're hearing because there's no other stimuli for you to be reacting to. But what it might mean is that like, because your brain, when you're playing, reacts to audio differently than when you're just listening to it. And if you've ever, like, recorded yourself and just played a take and then listened back to that take, then you know exactly oh, yeah. that this happens. Um, and I then, didn't do that. Well, it's, it's part of that, but it's like, that. oh, that's what that sounds like? And especially if you aren't using headphones. Like, if you're just, like, recording with monitors and you're hearing your strings or, or whatever, um, and then you listen back to it and you're like, oh, wow, that sounds completely different than I thought it did. But... There's something that might kick in. So it's like you're it, it is something in the audio. It is something in the processor. It is something in the tone you have. But that like this is wrong feeling only kicks in while you're playing. And if you're just listening to someone else playing to the same tone, then it, it doesn't go. And, and so this is for the, you know, the real tone nerds like there's something going on and, and, and it's weird because it always gets like in, in online discussions, I feel like it always gets separated out from the audio. It's like, yeah, no, this thing sounds great, but it doesn't feel right. No, that means it doesn't sound right to you. <laughs> but yeah, so, so it's, you know, I do like to chase that stuff down and try to figure out like, is this something that can be fixed? And a lot of times it doesn't need like us to fix it. It just means you need to change something in the way you're, you're dialing it in. Um, but sometimes it's something that we can fix on our end or something that we can adjust for on, on our end, so. Okay, so enough about pedals. Let's talk about <laughs> the VGO. Ah, uh, the VGO. Um, the VGO is the the video game orchestra, and uh, they are one of my main clients as a, as an audio engineer. Um, and I have been working with them, I think, since 2013 when. Uh, without nearly enough preparation on anyone's end. We went on a tour of China, uh, which was in so many ways a catastrophe, but that uh, we, we all uh, we all got a lot of, uh, out of in, in our own different ways. And yeah, it, it's basically sort of a video game review show uh, musically. So if you think of like the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, but playing video game music, that's that's kind of what you get. And yeah, the idea is to have like the sort of this big rock band with an orchestra backing it, you know, playing these epic arrangements of of uh, video game music. Like, give me an example of a video game tune that that it, maybe I've heard of. Uh, it's it sort of name it. The, Snake the, Eater. Uh, They've yeah. covered a lot. Yeah. Vic, Vic, do it. Do it. Go do check it out on search YouTube. Yeah. On on VGO Snake Eater.
Yeah, so Snake Eater is uh, <laughs> is from uh, Metal Gear Solid 3, and it's kind of like a Bond theme type of thing. Um, or uh, another really big one is like the uh, the theme from Chrono Trigger, uh, mm-hmm. which was a SNES game. There's music from Castlevania and, uh, and F-Zero. Okay. There's, there's more <laughs> modern right. stuff. And, Anyway, do you do it goes on and on. Do, do, do you do anything from Doom? Like, uh, not, not yet, but that would be an awesome, awesome thing to do. Were you talking about the old Doom or the new yeah, Doom? Yeah, no, old, oh, the, the old. The, old, oh, the okay. new Doom. The new Doom is just the old Doom meddled up, and 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 what, it's really not. I, I, you know what? If you want to talk about sound design, um, Mick Gordon gave a really interesting talk about how he created the the sounds for that, and it's fascinating. I, well, the sounds I'll, and the music are different things. I'm just talking about the no, music. No, no, but I, I, am ta- I am talking about the music. Like, specifically, oh, okay, okay. the way it, it was, it, it's actually, the music is a really interesting feat of sound design to end up mm. the way the way that it, it did. <laughs> and because, specifically, it started with no guitars. The idea was going to be no guitars. For Doom? Yeah. Like, originally? Or, like, like the 2016 stuff? For the 2016 stuff, was they, they really wanted to separate it uh, from the, the older older Doom thing. And it, that's not the way that it, it ended up. But even the guitars that are in there are handled in a really, really interesting way. And to, to spoiler, basically, they he used this process that sort of um, melds two sounds into one. And so he took the sounds and he morphed them against the sound of the chainsaw from, I think, the original Doom to create that guitar oh. tone. So anyway, Anyway, there's there's a bunch of like really interesting stuff uh, uh, about works. that. I've played that game. I've played 2016 like cover oh, it's to cover. Fantastic. And yeah, it, it, it's it so really good. is, and I feel it. And this like in terms of the design, like it feels like you are there and you are in hell and you are fighting for your life. And there's a metal band like there with you. <laughs> it, it really delivers on like making you feel invincible and unstoppable, and that you are the Doomslayer Heroic, and you're gonna yes. end every single one of these demons. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, no, that would be. I actually, I'll, I'll have to pitch that uh, doing doing some of the the Doom stuff. Um, yeah, sorry. So so back to VGO. So back to VGO. So yeah. some of the stuff. So like, how did you find out about them? I mean, like, uh, I found out about. So I was actually working at a studio in uh, at the time that was. Um, they did a couple shows at Boston um, Boston Symphony Hall, and uh, they did the first one. And then to mix it, they actually came to the studio that I was working at and then we were we helped record the uh the second show that um is the one that they actually ended up releasing uh as as an album and uh shota the uh producer band leader arranger head guy and and one of the guitarists uh he and i kind of got to talking we got to talking about video games and got to talking about music and we just kind of got on and he he found out that i had a uh a live sound uh background and you know one thing led, led to another and so then uh then we've kind of been inextricably tied since then man it's such a cool effort i mean it re- but the thing is is that it's um you know there's there's a couple like garage bands out there that'll you know like crush a song from you know whatever like sonic the hedgehog or something or mm-hmm. somebody out there by themselves plays something but this is like a six or even a seven piece like rock band with like like a chamber it looks like a like twenty string players maybe. Well, it depends. There's a lot of different uh, different iterations of it. I think mm-hmm. at our peak we had eleven members in the band, where we had two keyboardists and a percussionist and two vocalists, and then we would be accompanied by a sixty person orchestra and a forty person choir. I think those were the the largest shows that that we've done. And where were some of the? Were these out in Europe? Were these here in America? 
America? That what, was what, in, what were these events? Was this E3 or like, where were you? Uh, no, those were, I think the biggest shows we've done actually were in China and China and Taiwan were the ones I think where we had the, that like largest accompaniment. Um, and then we've done other shows. We did a tour in Japan. Uh, we did, we've done uh, Mexico and Brazil recently, which most of the Brazil concert is, uh, is now up on YouTube. And so it's just like, there, there's a lot of tweaking and that goes on and it's like, what can we get away with this time and and what works and what arrangements are we doing? We've also done much smaller shows where uh, like there's a there's actually you mentioned Sonic the Hedgehog, but we've done a, a Sonic the Hedgehog show, which is just kind of like a core band of four people and sometimes a vocalist and then a horn section. So it is good stuff. It's so much fun to watch. It's so much fun to I watch. I love big productions like that. It's yeah. Yeah, that's that's the thing about the VGO is that it was, from the word go, it was meant to be huge and epic. And it was like, it, it was kind of a, it was a hard band to, for a show to, to build up, I think, because it's like, you can't just start at clubs when mm. your vision is always to like make it be this huge thing. So that just, that presents uh, a lot of difficulties. I, I think he's done a, a wonderful job building it up to to the thing that that it is now i guess when you start at symphony hall you're not yeah yeah i was impressed i mean like dave i guess dave vibes i guess is the vivas guy. vivas yes super impressive I he was is like, the man i was feeling it i was like so impressed i was like oh this guy's gonna sing a video game song and i was like oh it's like he sounds really good and he's really enjoying himself. And everyone watching that show is so into it. He yeah. has like really brought it alive, made it alive. D Dave is a, a consummate professional, a, a wonderful vocalist and just an, an awesome guy to hang out with. I, I absolutely love him to pieces. Yeah. Well, he, he, he fronts the band really well. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's gotta be hard, like for video game music to like, like, you know, like, yeah, let's really rock this. But like, he like got out there's like, yeah, let's really rock this. And it worked. And like, <laughs> yeah, there, there's also, it, it gets, uh, unfortunately it gets cut out of like the, the YouTube videos a lot, but he's, he's really good at working the crowd in between the songs too. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> he's a showman. Uh, yeah. Well you need, you need to have it, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so you just recently got back from Brazil. Um, mm -hmm. so Let's let's close with this. Perhaps let's talk a little bit about the future. Maybe talk a little bit about how this predicament has affected you with the pandemic, maybe, and then talk about kind of what comes next for you. Yeah. Um, well, it certainly killed all my live sound work. That's for sure. Um, uh, no kidding. Yeah. No. It's. I mean, it's it's been absolutely devastating to um, the live music industry and the entertainment industry in general. Yeah. And it's you know. My, my Facebook feed, because I know so many full-time musicians and artists, it's, it's been hard to watch because it, it's just, it, it's been a massacre. Um, I am super lucky to both to kind of have, you know, I, I have one foot in sort of the, the music world and live sound world and whatever. And then I also have this engineering, you know, this, this line six engineering job that's just holding me down. So I thankfully was mostly okay. Um, I already worked from home. Um, and was kind of used to this thing. Um, there was definitely a, a tough period with, with my daughter when, uh, you know, all the daycares were closed and we were just trying to juggle how we were going to get everything done and take care of this, this two-year-old. I, I will say, Igor, your toddler insights on Twitter, <laughs> those are great. Those are great. The, the My Little Pony especially is uh, pretty wonderful. <laughs> my, my daughter's, yeah, 
<laughs> absolute obsession <laughs> with My Little Pony and what that gets into is <laughs> it's it's a sight to behold. Um, it fixes everything, though. I tell you, <laughs> Rainbow Star or whatever her name is, I can't remember the name. Like, just makes it all better. But it's definitely like so. It, this is actually one funny thing about Line Six is most of the development team was already remote. So that wasn't a huge change, but it definitely broke up, you know, for the uh, the electrical mechanical guys who need the equipment in the office for the QA guys that no longer have access to the lab and all the gear that we have there for the sound designers that don't have the studio anymore. It posed some problems. Um, Mm. It I wouldn't say that it really like it didn't affect us to where it, you know, it knocked us on our ass, but it slowed some things down. It, It created problems there. And, you know, there's it it obviously it it both I feel like it it helped and it hurt from a product standpoint, from like a a stale standpoint, because on one hand, all these people were at home now and were like, I have all this free time. I'm going to learn an instrument. I'm going to really play invest in guitar. You know, let me get a thing that's going to make me happy playing at home like the Helix. At the same time, so many professional musicians no longer had cash to spend and it's like there's it's really hard for me to kind of put a silver lining on it because also like you know i was planning on doing a lot of personal music <laughs> this year uh, at the beginning of the year i i released a song actually with dave vivas who we were talking about and this stuff started and all of my drive to create just died i had nothing like I would I would get to the end of a day you know when I would normally open up a DAW and start doing something and I was just I was so drained and I just I I couldn't do it and I've been slowly slowly starting to kind of put my toe back into it and I've been you know trying to do other stuff and I've been I've started making these videos for to kind of explain some of the inner workings of Helix and, and Guitar Tone and stuff like that but it's you know it's been rough and and that's coming from someone who's privileged enough to like not have been really directly affected. So for all of all of my, you know, my friends and, and my colleagues who really got hit by this, it's I, I can't even imagine being in that situation right now. Sure. Well, you know, you also have a two year old man, so like get partial credit for that. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, 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 there, there is that. But um, in terms of in terms of what comes next, I mean, my my hope is that there will be some kind of additional relief for the entertainment industry coming out out of our government, which that was was uh, indicated. Um, I know there's some stuff coming in the in the bill that just passed, and I just I really hope that people can sort of find their their way back on on their feet for all of all the performance stuff. I mean, I know like the VGO will be okay. Uh, we'll find new gigs and new things to do there because that was never a full time thing. And even, sure. you know, Shota, who's the, the band leader also, he has a production company and a, a recording company that does, uh, anime and video game soundtracks. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's going to be okay. Um, I'm just hoping that all of the people that, you know, got knocked out for a year can find their ways back sure. to it and they, they don't have to, you know, give up on it in, entirely, which I know some people will have to do. Yeah. Well, what, what can we look forward to from the Yamaha guitar group this year or in the near future <laughs> that I <laughs> that can you talk can share. about? Yeah. That, that yeah. You can sh- yeah. We're not, we're not gonna, or um, something that you're excited about, like about for the future or like, you know, give us a prediction. Uh, prediction, man. Uh, like I, I, I can say that there are 
products on the horizon that I'm really excited about. And there's stuff uh, out there like I that I don't know when it's going to come out, but I think that we're going to have some some stuff that surprises people, and mm-hmm. I think we're going to have some stuff that people are are really really stoked about. Mm-hmm. And we're also I think we've got like we've got so uh, there's been a lot of posts recently on about you know is Helix you know is Helix too old like this thing's been out for five years should I should I wait for for a new unit or should I like just like is this thing done? And I think we we have plenty of room to to grow. So there's there's still a lot of stuff that we can do with with this platform that I think people will be very very happy about. Awesome! Thank you so much, Igor. Um, this was enlightening to learn about what you're up to and, and get a little more insight on Line Six. I know, um, like I said, a lot of those stickists are really digging those products. Yeah. So I think I think they'll enjoy. Uh, hearing uh hearing your insights about it um so thank you so much for joining us it was an absolute pleasure thank you for having me (laughs) yeah thank you so much igor All right. So thanks again to Igor Stolarski for spending some time with us. And we hope everyone listening out there enjoyed it as much as we did. Now let's call out the music Igor provided for us in this episode. The first song is a tune called Drifting. And then a little later on, we heard the video game orchestra's performance of Snake Eater, which was mixed and mastered by Igor. And now as we close things out, we're hearing Cradle of Rocks with Igor being joined on vocals by Dave Vives and on drums by Blaze Collard. You can find more from Igor on YouTube, Twitter, iTunes, and other social media and music outlets by searching on The Bishop Game. As always, thanks for taking the time to join us, and please send us an email with your thoughts. Have a great day, and we hope that sometime soon you get the opportunity to pick up your instrument and play for a while. Goodbye. We don't care about your comments, but if you want to leave them anyways, you can contact us at tapintimepodcasts at gmail.com. 